0: And uh, if you've been hanging out with us two weeks ago, the, not last week when Brother Lee was back, but uh, the two weeks prior to that, you know we were in John 15. I almost, I almost titled this Abide 3, but I just thought, you know, uh, that, that may, we may have exa- exhausted that. But we are going to hit something here at the end of the last two verses uh, that we, really in verse 7, something that we, we've already tackled verse 7 two weeks ago, if you remember through the stuff we've been working through. Uh, but there's something I want to zero in on, and specifically what we've entitled it this morning is how are you responding to God's word? So, how how are you personally responding to God's word? And we'll say more about that. So, John 15, uh, verse 7 and 8. Let's let's read those two verses real quick. You, you remember where we're at, where we're at? This is this is talking about abiding in Christ. And we specifically were looking at that in the context of intimacy. And two weeks ago we broke down. The that, that chapter 14, the chapter earlier, breaks down exactly our position in Christ, uh, one, you know, in, in, in this dispensation. When we receive Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God came in to abide with us positionally, right? But we also talked about how that doesn't mean that practically we're always abiding in the Lord as we're supposed to. And so chapter 15 if it is that call. That is what Jesus spends the first eight verses breaking down is that he wants us to abide with him. He wants us to dwell with him. Again, it's just a reminder that we're called to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so he he wants us to to be focused on that and to to invest our lives in that. And so verse 7 and 8, we'll read these and and then dive into this this question that is our title this morning. So verse 7, it says, If he abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein... Is my Father glorified? And, and we said much about this, but this, uh, the, the summation of all of the first seven verses leads us to verse eight, which he's letting us know hey, through this process, through the process of the, of the first seven verses, herein, because of that, if that's applied, my Father is glorified. And that is why we're here, is to glorify the Father. And specifically, the way that we glorify the Father is that ye bear much fruit. And then notice this, as we've, as we've, as we've laid out, so shall ye be my disciples. And so, what we're zeroing in on, and again, we, are, we did skim across verse 7 two weeks ago, but as we, as we dive into this specifically, notice this whole thing, the, the, the attention that he calls to his words in this whole process. Uh, the, 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 the very reality is that when you look out in, in Christianity today, There is people, Christians, and again, not at this church, but just in general, Christians don't have a problem with talking about the fact that they are in a a relationship with the Lord Jesus. They don't have a problem with even talking about that we're to abide in Jesus, to dwell with Jesus. The problem is Christianity today has divorced that reality with the fact that that means we are given to his words. And so that is specifically again what I want to tackle this morning. So let's pray, Lord. I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you for your Word, Lord. It's a powerful book. I pray that it would be on full display this morning, and you would receive the glory. Pray that we would uh, we would apply what needs to be applied in our lives personally. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So we said this over the last over those that two week little deal. We said that all, from all of this, we we drew this that. Our thesis was that fruit comes from intimacy with the Father. And we continue to lay that out in, in, the, in those two weeks. And, and we understand that. We, we understand what Jesus is saying here in the first seven verses. And it's, again, it's a call to the fact that we're in a personal relationship with the Lord. But it's a call to remind us that, again, we, we have no power and ability of ourselves. Verse 5 is the, is the very popular verse in this whole deal. When he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit okay and that is awesome but then he reminds us for without me you can't do nothing and so he probably could have Jesus probably could have taught what he was teaching in verse five without saying the last cause there but it just in case it we you know we forget and just in case his disciples were were uh ignorant to this he wanted to remind them me hey, because without me you, you can't do anything and it's equivalent to a branch. If we were to cut off a branch off one of those trees and throw it over in the side of the road, it doesn't take long for that thing. It, it does, has no ability to, to yield fruit. So we were talking about that, how fruit comes from intimacy with the Father. But then specifically this morning, I, I want to bring this to a head, the second, the second statement, which is how Jesus is, is finishing up this text in verse 7. But we also need to know that there is no fruit if the seed is not received. So we we were given this illustration. I was given the illustration that you think about a, a husband and, and wife relationship having a baby, okay, and that's the that's the, the illustration that we're painting. Okay, that, that fruit comes from intimacy with the father. And again, we all understand where I'm where I'm tracking with that. But one thing we also know in that same illustration. Is that with that mother, if the seed is not received, nothing, no fruit is actually produced. And so the same thing with this whole context of abiding in Christ and intimacy with the Lord Jesus. If the seed's not received, there's no no fruit that's being yielded. And and as the illustration that I was giving earlier about Christianity today, I think there are people, good-hearted people, that when they think about their relationship with Jesus... They're thinking about long walks in the park, and they're thinking, and nothing wrong with those things. You can certainly talk and pray to the Lord in those contexts, but that is, that is what they think about with the Lord, and they're like, well, the Lord talks to me because when I get in them woods and go hunting, boy, I tell you, you know, that's, that's the way they talk. But again, if we divorce the fact that, man, without these words, there is no abiding. If, if the seed of this book doesn't get inside of us, and by the way, and we don't receive it, and We're gonna go to mark four here in a second, but we don't we're not the right type of ground that is receiving that seed man it, it, there's no fruit and so that, that does bring us to mark chapter four and we're going to be jumping back and forth through John 15 and Mark four this entire time and we'll do some more flipping this morning but uh I, I, you can see based on space I did not put all of the verses I had to do some trimming because uh it, it gets crazy when you know, Nobody wants to see a stapler, a staple in the middle of the pages, right? So, so Mark 4, he says this, hearken. Okay, he's like, he's, he's letting them know, hey, you need to listen up right here. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. What's Jesus doing here? He's, he, this is a parable. He's teaching us in, in, in type here. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Okay, so what is the sower doing? He's out there, he's tossing out seed. We get the illustration. Some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Verse 5, And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. Verse 6, But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some uh, some thirty, and some sixty. And some one hundred. In verse fourteen, he lets us know. Just in case we're missing it, he says the sower soweth the word, and then through later on in Mark chapter four, he actually says uh, the seed is the word of God. Just to reiterate that, to bring emphasis to that. So we we get what we're saying here. Okay, so there, 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 the fruit does come from intimacy with the Father, but again, we must remind ourselves that there is no fruit if the seed is not received. And so when we're asking the question this morning, how are you personally responding to the word of God? That is in the context of how are you responding it from from this pulpit on a week in and week out basis. But that also applies to, hey, how are you, how am I responding to the word of God on a day-to-day basis in our relationship with the Lord Jesus? Because what I know is I know that there's been times in my life Many seasons in my life, where I'm still in this book, but I'm not receiving the words of God in my life. There's been times where you know what the ground in my life is just not—it's just not pliable. It's just not ready for the seed to get in, into and, and to start yielding fruit. And so that's the question. That's the question this morning. It's it's really an it's it's really an odd phenomena because. You know, when you think about, you think about, you know, a, a church, you think about Christians, you think about people, it's weird because we make so much about this book, and as we've already said this morning, this, this is the seed, this is, this is the, the secret sauce in, the, in, in our Christian life. The Bible calls it the seed, but what's, cur- you know, what's crazy, you think about this whole planting illustration, not only is the Word of God the seed, but did you know the Word of God is actually the water, too? Ephesians five you ought to check that out. So the word of God is the seed, and the word of God is the water. So another man in, in all of this, like we talk so much about discipleship. Okay, what you know what the secret sauce of discipleship is? It's this book. It's this book. This is what does the work in our life, and so it's really weird. If you want to look at uh, this, First Thessalonians chapter two, it's really crazy. Just talking about not being receptive or, or asking ourselves, how receptive am I? How, how, how much, how, am I being challenged by the word of God a daily, a, on a daily basis? Look at First Thessalonians 2.13. Because this is, this, is, this is the thing that's, that's crazy. Is there are people that come into churches every single Sunday and every single Wednesday. And what's weird is a pastor or somebody can teach the word of God and can preach the word of God. But the crazy thing is, some people leave changed, and some people leave the same. Same message, same word, same spirit of God inside of those people. Some people leave changed, and some people leave the same. And it all goes back to how they're responding, how sensitive and pliable, and how the soil of their life is responding to that book. So 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 One of my favorite verses in the Bible says this. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. Check this out. But as it is in truth, the word of God, notice this, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now what somebody could say is, well Dylan, that's talking about believers. Well, No, 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 okay, that is true. But it goes a step beyond that. If I approach this book, there's times in my life because the reason I don't respond to it the right way is because I approach this book unbelievingly. And the Word of God just does not work in a soul that approaches it unbelievably. So, man, maybe maybe that is my whole deal sometimes. Maybe that is why that is. So back to John chapter 15. So again, fruit comes from intimacy with the Father, but we, we must remind ourselves that there is no fruit if the seed is not received. So, the next blank in your handout, I want you to see this that here in John 15, that's where we've been. Here in John 15, there are three fruit yielding Christians represented. So, Jesus lays this whole thing out John 15 as we've been diving into it, and, he, and he's, he shows us these three types of Christians. And that brings us to our next point, which says this that God primarily teaches in threes. So God's two favorite numbers is 3 and 7. He uses other numbers for, for, for stuff. The, the Bible's full of it. But the numbers he uses the most is 3 and 7. And he uses 3, I would say, the most, okay? Here's a principle for that. Romans 1, chapter 20. Romans 1, 20 shows us this. He says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Okay, that's why he works in threes, because of the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So in, in, in our, that, that verse is specifically talking about nature, that God shows us the Godhead in, in everything that he's created. Okay, you think about water. Water is H2O, it's two hydrogen and one oxygen. Okay, you think about, you think about us. We are triune beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. You think about matter. All of matter is a solid, a liquid, or a gas. Okay? A, 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 an atom is made of three components. Okay? Everything, as you just dissect this whole thing, everything that God does primarily is done in threes because he's trying to reflect himself in that whole thing. Okay? But what God does, not just in, in those physical things, but what God does is he actually teaches in threes throughout the word of God to give us to give us illustration of things. So I want you to see this here in John 15. You see the first category of, of, of Christian that is that is bearing fruit. Notice verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, okay? There's there is one there is one uh, class of Christian there that is bearing fruit. You have a second class there in verse 2, which he says, he, uh, So the, the, the guy that bears fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. So you've got one person bearing fruit, you've got one person bearing more fruit. And then notice verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Okay, and again, if it seems like I'm just, I'm grasping for straws here, I want you to see this parallel over and over and over. Look look back at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 here, with this illustration that we've laid out. Notice what it says. And some fell on good ground. Okay, so this is the good ground that is allowing the seed of the word of God to work in their life. And it says, and some fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased. Praise God. And notice this. And brought forth some 30, and some 60, and some 100. It's interesting. He uses these three different increases of of fruit being yielded. Okay, that brings us to Revelation chapter 17. And this is going to be a Bible study of of taking these three components and running them back to John 15 uh, this morning. But now Revelation 17, the context here is the tribulation, but plenty of devotional application that we're going to draw from this. He says, these shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is, is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And again, this, is, this could be a uh, several-week study. There's, there's a lot to this whole threes thing. But I don't know if you remember, but Brother Mark actually taught that in here before with the disciples. He laid out that you have the, okay, you had Judas who was who was lost, but you take out the the other ones. You had the the eight disciples. They yielded some fruit. They were they were they were with Jesus, doing their thing with Jesus. Then you had the three, right? Peter, James, and John. They knew Jesus in just a little bit deeper way than, than the other eight did. And then there was John, who, who lay on the, the, very, the very breast of Jesus, and he knew Jesus in a way the others did not. Another example of that is what we actually find, if you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's not going to be on your handout or on the, or on the screen, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you find the same illustration with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And what you find with the, with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament in the Exodus story is, again, what happens? They go through, they, have the, they, they apply the blood of the Passover lamb right they apply that blood and what do they do they, they they leave egypt they leave egypt and they have redemption that's a picture of our salvation but there's three there's three types of people that that their lives take three different routes the first group what happens they are saved they probably have some some good things happen in their life but they die in the wilderness they never make it there's another class of christian uh pictured christian there that gets close to Canaan and goes into Canaan at times, but they dwell outside of Canaan. And then there's that third Christian that is actually dwelling inside of Canaan, which pictures the abundant life. And so I say all of that to say this, okay, if, if any of what I just said, if that seems like what I'm saying is that there are big Christians and little Christians, I'm actually saying the opposite of that, and I want to show you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But what I'm bringing home here is that that there's three different outcomes and fruit being yielded based on three different responses in their lives to the Word of God. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So again, this illustration that I gave the last one of of the nation of Israel with some dying in the wilderness, some getting to the brink of Canaan, and some making it into Canaan. notice, Notice what Paul says here, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Okay, he's he's trying to teach us something here. Paul is, how that all our fathers were under the cloud. Notice the word all, how many times it it, it shows up here. And all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But verse 5, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So what am I getting at there? What I want us to see here is that they, though they had three different outcomes, they all had equal opportunity to make it to Canaan. And so again, in all of this, the, the, the guy that yields 30 fruit is not, a, is not less privileged than the guy that yields 100. It's just his response was different to the word of God. And so, as we keep doing this whole thing, and as, as, as I keep showing up, and as you keep showing up, as we keep pressing to the, to the book, and, and we keep doing discipleship, the difference in all of our lives individually, the only thing that we can control is how we respond to this book on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. So, we're going we're to lay this whole thing out. And Well, that was an awful long introduction. So, let's get rolling here. Number one. The Christian that is yielding fruit. This is the first one I want to look at. The very first one we illustrated in, in John 15, 2. So this is the Christian that is yielding fruit. Verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, you taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit. So here's our, here's our first guy. And again, notice there in Mark 4, 8. And some fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30. Okay. So some, this guy, this, this person, this Christian, is certainly yielding some fruit. They're not the, they're not the person in, in John 15, 6 that is, their works are being thrown in the fire, necessarily, at the judgment seat of Christ. This person is yielding some fruit, but it's, it's at this place. It's, it's, it's 30-fold. It's, it's fruit. It's not more fruit. It's not much fruit, but it's fruit. So in this whole thing, letter A, I want you to see this. This, this Christian represents the called. So again, we're taking this John 15 principle and Mark 4 principle, and we're, gonna, we're running it straight to Revelation 17 and just doing a Bible study on that. But remember, Revelation 17, Okay, this, this, this Christian that is bearing this amount of fruit, it represents the called here in that text of Revelation 17. So, so notice this, and they that are with him are called. There's the first one. Okay, so in this whole thing, well, what, what is that saying? We need to understand what a call is in the Word of God. Okay, Because the two words that we're about to break down are called and chosen. And those are Calvinists, some of their favorite words. Because they think that every, every born-again believer was, had a personal call to salvation and personally chosen to salvation that other people did not have. That's not scriptural, so we're not, a, we're not scared of these terms. We're just going to define these terms. And so notice this. A call in scripture is simply an invitation to get involved in something great. A call in Scripture is simply an invitation to get involved in something great. All right, let's do some flipping. Uh, Luke chapter 5. Don't let that scare you. We're, we're strange people these days. Luke chapter 5. Me too. Verse 32. We're just going to define that. And again, we were shorthanded on the outline here. I didn't. We didn't want to make it too long. So he says this. He says, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Okay, so he's saying that that this is an illustration of salvation, but in this whole thing, what is that? That is Jesus, what is a call to salvation? That is an invitation to participate in in, in something, to receive something. We give an invitation on on most Sunday services. What is that? That is an invitation for, for anybody to come, but also for those that are lost, what we're saying is, hey, come and receive the gift of eternal life. It's an invitation. It's an offer. Okay, with nothing attached. Okay, look at, look at Luke 14. Go to chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 13. This is an illustration talking about the parable of the great supper. It says, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor... The maimed, the lame, and the blind. Okay, just, I just want to show you these illustrations here. But this simply, what is it? It's an invitation. The guy is to go out and to give as many invites to this supper that he can. That's all it is. It's an invitation. Okay, now let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. Matthew 20, verse 16. It says, so the, so the last, we're going to come back to this first, because this is key. So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, Okay, notice this, for many be called, and but few chosen. Okay, now what somebody could say, and as I'm saying this, flip over to Romans. I'm sorry, a lot of flipping this morning. Romans chapter 5. What, what people could say, and this is, what the, this is what the Calvinists, this is what the false teacher would say. They would say, well, see, Dylan, it says many were called not all there's a select few okay but i want to just prove that to you real quick we're defining this stuff real quick this morning romans 5 19 okay how many how many people that are born in this in this earth are sinners all right okay all right we'll check this out verse 19 for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners see what i'm getting at the many there in our king james bible is used oftentimes to talk about everybody. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the the obedience of one man shall many be made righteous. Okay, so long rabbit trail there. Back to John chapter 15. Long rabbit trail there, but I'm just wanting to show you here because we want to define these terms of what we're talking about. Okay, this, this this call here in Scripture is simply... An invitation. So, what is that specifically? Well, this is what the invitation is to this this person, this Christian, in this whole thing of threes. Notice this: this group has yielded fruit, right? We've talked about that. They're, they're John fifteen verse two, and they're the they're the sum thirty in Mark four. This group has yielded fruit, but there is an invitation to yield more. So, what does that look like in our church? What does that look like in Christianity today? Okay. This could be the person. Again, they're they are doing what they know to do. You know, they may tell about they may tell somebody about Jesus every once in a while. They 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 come to church. They 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 want to raise their kids the right way. They do these things, okay. But what this is is the Lord saying, "Hey, that's great that you're doing those things, but hey, I want more out of your life. It's a call to yield more. It's a call to not make, to stay right where they're at." Okay, John 15, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says that we are always to be abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what that means? That mean, Abounding means growing. It means, it means increasing. That means that, that next year, at this time, I need to be abounding in the work of the Lord more than I am now, and you too. Okay, and so that's what this call is. It's an invitation to the person that's yielding fruit to yield more fruit. Okay? Letter B this Christian oftentimes hears God's word from another person. Okay, I'm just trying to give you the, the illustration of this person's life. Okay, this Christian, so how do we know if, how do you know if you're here? Because we're talking about how are you responding to God's word? Well, okay, well, this guy in this situation more times than not is hearing God's word from somebody else. Now, let me say, nothing wrong with that. That is a great starting point. That's why we preach. That's why there's there's te- there's teaching going on. That's why there's, that's why there's a Awana. That's why, okay, the, the, the Lord has laid out teachers in Scripture as a biblical thing. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with that. But, man, as, as somebody gets older and as, they, as they, they grow, they, they've been saved longer and longer and longer, that is certainly not where we want somebody to stay, where they're only hearing the Word of God from somebody else. Because at the end of the day... You think about this whole thing, it, this applies to the seven stages of spiritual growth that we talked about. When we had Macklin and he was a baby, Tori had to feed him, right? But we don't want, I don't. I hope to goodness Tori's not having to spoon feed that joker at 15. I mean, right? Amen. And the same thing, and, and she would probably be willing to. I'm just kidding, just kidding, I'm teasing. I've been on her about the mom and boy thing. Okay. But that, that's the same thing with, with our spiritual lives. Man, this is a great starting point. That's okay. Okay, if somebody's being discipled, you know what they need? They need somebody else to show them the Word of God. But we don't want them to stay there. We want them to be able to hear, the, hear it for themselves. So I'm drawing that illustration from, from Exodus chapter 24. So what we have here in Exodus chapter 24, this is a story. Okay, what, in Exodus chapter 20, Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments in the law. You know what I'm talking about? And, Mo, and, and Moses comes back down. Somebody tell me, what happens when Moses comes back down off the mountain the first time? Anybody know? Yeah, what you say? They're being bad, right? So Israel is, Israel is uh, Aaron and them, and they're doing this whole golden calf thing, and, and Aaron's like, I don't even know how it happened. It just, like, came out of the fire, it just popped out. It was weird, you know, crazy stuff. And so what Moses? What happens is Moses, he breaks those things, right? And he has to, so he has to go back and do this whole thing all over again. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on here in, in Exodus chapter 24. I want you to see the context here in verse 12 just to show you where we're at. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Okay, but this is verse 3. This is the... So what we have here is we have, a, we have a mountain. Moses goes all the way to the top of the mountain. Joshua and 70 elders go halfway up the mountain. And then you have the rest of the nation of Israel. You know what they're doing? They're at the base of the mountain. Good people. They probably love God at this point, hopefully. They're good folks. But notice, they're at the base of the mountain. They're not communing with God on the mountain. Notice verse 3. And it says, and Moses came and told the people all the words of the word. So again, that they're representing this this person, this person yielding yielding fruit. Okay, they're hearing God's word, they're receiving God's word. Praise God. But at this point in their life, they're hearing it from another person. Okay, and that represents many many Christians. Again, nothing wrong with that. That's just, a, but it's a starting point. It's not an, not an end game. Letter C. I want you to see this. This Christian that we've laid out here, this Christian is walking in the good will of God. Now, what am I talking about? Romans chapter 12. Here's another illustration, I believe, that he's laying out three wills of God. So, notice this. We know the verse, verse one talks about presenting our bodies living sacrifices. Verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? By getting our mind in Christ's mind. That ye may prove what is that good. And then he goes on to say, an acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, again, maybe you think, well, Dylan, you're trying to find too much of this whole three thing. That's all the same thing. But I, I would challenge you to go study those three words out, and they, they don't mean the same thing. And so he says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this Christian, again, this, this Christian that is yielding 30 fruit, they're bearing fruit, which is good. And by the way, it still says that this will of God is good. So they're not out walking and, and, and living in, in the world and, and being crazy. But again, it's, it's where this person should start. It's where a believer should start, not where they should coast the rest of their Christian life. And so you see just an example in Luke 17, chapter 10, of this goodwill of God, which is really just doing the almost the bare minimum of what they're supposed to do as a Christian. So he says, so likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which, which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, notice this, we have done that which, our duty, which was our duty to do. Because that represents this person. They're doing what they know to do. But again, what's the invitation to them? There's an invitation to, hey, God wants more out of your Christian life. God wants this person to yield more fruit. So that brings us to number two. We're going to break down the Christian the Christian that is, that is yielding more fruit. The Christian that is yielding more fruit. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch... That beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Again, Mark 4. And this, we'll go quicker here because we kind of, it was a runway deal. And some 60, okay? This is that second person. So letter A, this this Christian represents the chosen. Remember, our, our example here in Revelation 17. This Christian represents the chosen. And again, boy, that word just is uh, a buzzword these days in the Christian circles. But notice verse, verse 14 in Revelation 17. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen. Okay, now we're in John chapter 15. Look down at verse 16. Again, we're not scared of these words. that We, we don't need to bypass them and step over them because we don't know how to define them. We're just going to go to the Word of God on them. So what does God choose people for in this world he does not choose them to salvation look at verse 16 he says "Ye have not chosen me but i've chosen you okay there is a choosing going on but what is he choosing them to is he choosing them to receive him notice he says but i have chosen you and ordain you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask in, uh, of the Father in my name, he, he may give it you. Okay, so this person is the person, again, we're analyzing our own lives in this and, our, and, our, and asking the question, how am I responding to the Word of God? This is the person that has accepted the invitation to yield more fruit. So again, take that first person. Again, wherever you're at, anal- allow the Spirit of God to lead you in this. But it's that first person that says, you know, I'm doing what I know to do. But you know what, there's an offer here to press in a little bit. To yield more fruit, okay, and that looks like different things in in different people's lives, but it could be signing up for discipleship. It could be saying, you know what, I I wanna, you know, I I wanna yield more fruit. I want my Christian life to count that much more. I'm gonna accept that invitation. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna do it. Let's do it. That's what this person has done, And, and and when that person has accepted that invitation, that is where God is saying, hey. I'm choosing these people willing to accept this invitation. I am choosing them to, to bear more fruit. His, his choosing is to glorify him more. So letter be, this Christian and this whole thing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, look at Matthew 22:14. You got to see this. You got to see this. Matthew 22 verse 14. So remember we, we, we read this verse earlier. About this whole many are called, but few are chosen? Matthew 22, 14. Okay, it says this. For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, again, this is the, this is the next step. The chosen are the next step of these called. Well, why is it that all are called? We define that in Romans 5, 19. Why is it that all have the offer? Every Christian that, that, that knows the Lord Jesus has this offer to yield more fruit. But why is it that only few are chosen? Well, it's because only few, only some are willing to accept the offer. Only some are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to lay down my life. Eternity is more important than now. Eternity is more important than my comfort. Eternity is more important than, than money. Eternity is more important than the pleasures of this world. Not every Christian says yes to that. So many are called, but few are chosen. So here we have, again, this Christian represents the chosen. They are they're, they're bringing forth more fruit, praise God. They are yielding some 60-fold of, of fruit, praise the Lord. But the letter B, again, this is this is them growing as they're, they're yielding more fruit. How are they doing that? Well, it's because the Lord is... Is, is using this book more in their life. And this is what we see, letter B. This Christian hears God's word for themselves. Okay, so, so before, they're yielding, they're yielding 30-fold. They are bearing fruit, praise the Lord. They know Jesus, there's some fruit seen in their life. But they, they need to hear the word of God from somebody else. And again, I'll keep saying this, nothing wrong with that, but that's not where we want someone to, to, to remain. But this person here, this, this, this second person that is, that is yielding more fruit, well, this person, man, when they, they open this book, they know how to hear from them themselves. They know how to study it. They know how to get in it. They know how to, to get before this thing, and they're actually, they don't need somebody else to show them every single thing in the Word of God. Now, does, does that mean that they come in and they listen to pastors preach, and they're like, no, no, no. They're, again, they have a heart pure to receiving the seed but they can hear the Word of God from themselves. And you see this here in Exodus 24. So again, this story that we laid out, what's happening here in Exodus 24? You've got the the majority of of Israels down at the base of the mountain. How are they hearing the Word of God? They're hearing the Word of God when Moses comes back down and tells them the Word of God, when Moses communed with God first. Okay, but this second group, this this is Joshua and the 70 elders and a couple other people and they are going halfway up the mountain. They are actually following Moses up the mountain, and they, and they stop halfway. And so you know what? They can actually, they actually experience God. They actually can hear the words of God. Okay? Not like Moses, but they do. Now notice this. Exodus 24. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the, uh, the God of Israel... See, see there, they are they're, they're seeing God, they they can hear from the Lord. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. Verse 11, and upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. So they're hearing they're hearing from the Lord himself. But again, notice there is a difference, verse 14. And Moses says unto the elders, tarry ye here for us. He's, he's going to come back to them. So these people here, this Christian, they know how to get this book open and, and to hear from God through that. So let her see, you see where we're going in all this, but let her see this Christian, they're no longer walking in the good will of God, but this Christian is walking in the acceptable will of God. Romans 12:2, "Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind." that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Flip over to Philippians chapter 4. We won't do both of those references, but look at Philippians chapter 4. Again, I, we just don't have time to do all this. dissect it too much. You study it out if you, if you disagree, and that's fine. I'll love you still. But I'm just trying to give you, give you a showing here. If you were to study out that, that, this whole word of acceptable, that it, Because to me, acceptable, like in our English terms now, to me, acceptable seems like eh, it, it gets the job done. Okay, But it's, it, it's more than that. So, Philippians 4.18. He says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor, this is, the church of Philippi is blessing Paul by giving to his ministry. An odor of a sweet smell... A sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. So again, this is the Christian, this this Christian that is that is bearing more fruit, this Christian that is that is that is bearing some 60 fold. Again, I, in all of this, don't lose sight of it. We all we all have the same opportunities. All of the nation of Israel had the same opportunities. But this Christian in Category 2 is simply somebody that accepted the call and the invitation to bear more fruit. And they were were receiving the seed. This person is receiving the seed of the Word of God on a daily basis. And then number three, that brings us to this. The Christian yielding much fruit. The Christian yielding much fruit. i put John 15.2 on there, which is wrong. It's John 15.5. John 15, chapter 5. He says this, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So this, this, this Christian is, is bearing, is yielding much fruit. Again, Mark 4, 8, there's our illustration. And some fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60, and some 100. So in this whole thing, what does this Christian represent? Well, this Christian represents the faithful. This Christian represents the faithful. Re- Revelation uh, seventeen fourteen: 14, These shall make more war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And if you were to study this word faithful out in your King James Bible, you're going to find this, that faithfulness oftentimes is associated with crowns. And is associated with success at the judgment seat of Christ. And is is associated with, with rewards. So what is this Christian, how does this Christian approach the word of God? And I want you to notice this. This is where we all want to get to. The first Christian heard the word of God from other people. Praise God. They're still hearing the word of God. They're receptive of it. The second one is hearing the word of God from themselves. Praise God. But but this third Christian, I want you to see this. This Christian fellowships with God around his word. This Christian fellowships with God around his word. So look at Moses here. So you've got the, the the Israelites that are at the base of the mountain. You've got the 70 guys that come up halfway up the mountain, they can hear God's word, they've experienced God, all these things, but they are again at the the midpoint of the mountain. But I want you to notice what happens here in in this specific verse in, in Exodus 24, 12. I want you to notice what the Lord tells Moses that he wants from him. And the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me in the mount and be there. Again, there's this, this guy, this Christian, Moses was not hearing the words of God for academia's sake. Moses was not hearing the words of God so that he could know more. Moses was fellowshipping with God through his word. It's sort of like those seven stages of spiritual growth. The young man, you know what he does? He knows how to overcome the wicked one with the word of God. But the aged man, he knows the God of the word. There's this fellowship aspect where it's just that much more intimate. So he says, and be there. Come up to me in the mount and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone. Okay, when he was going to give him these tables of stone, when he was going to give him the words of God, is after Moses had committed himself to being present with the Lord. And so oftentimes in my own life, the reason, because I said earlier that sometimes I I get unreceptive to this book. And the reason why is because at times it's easy for me to to approach this book in a habitual manner. Because it's just my routine. It's just what I'm supposed to do. But I don't come and approach this book with a mindset that says, Lord, you know what, I just want to be around you and be with you. God, speak to me through your word. I don't always approach it through fellowship with the very God of the word. So he says, and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone and a wall and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. So this brings us to a good point. We need to see this. Anybody that teaches the word of God in this church, anybody that opens, whether it's in Awana, whether it's, in, it's up here, anything. Discipleship, this is always a rule of model that I, I always have to go back to because it's, it's easy to, to lose sight of. But it's this, fellowshipping with God around his word is what enables us to effectively teach God's word. You know what's easy to do is easy to find ourselves approaching this Word of God for a lesson. It's easy to find ourselves approaching this Word. So you know I got to get, I got to fill up fill up the handout. We got to fill this. I got you know I, we got discipleship today. I can't look like I don't know what I'm talking about. Let me get let me cram it in real quick. And when we do that, again, maybe it's just me, but when I, when I do that, I've lost sight of the fact that man, I'm fellowshipping with the Lord through this book. And that's how we teach the Word of God is when we do that. So let her see. And Daniel, you can come and play that if you would, brother. Let her see. It brings us to this. This Christian is walking in the perfect will of God. Verse 2, Romans 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And perfect in our Bible, your last blank. Perfect in our Bible doesn't mean sinless perfection like we think about. But perfect in our Bible means mature, complete. So what is the perfect will of God? Man, it's doing exactly what God wants us to do in a timely manner. Doing what he wants us to do, the way that he wants us to do it, in the time fashion that he desires it done. And that's where, that's where, that's where we should all desire to be. So, man, in this whole thing, very very much in a Bible study manner this morning, very teachy, I guess, But but in all of this, man, let the spirit of God direct us on that question how are you responding to God's word where in all of this do you see yourself if you're honest in your receptivity to the very words of God because yes does fruit come from intimacy with the father it it absolutely does but again there's no fruit if the seed has not been received he says man after he lays all this stuff out man you need to abide in me you need to dwell with me you, need, you can't do anything without me. And then he lays out there in verse 7, he says, but hey, just, just in case we forgot, maybe my words have to abide in you. And so, man, like I said, maybe you're like me. Maybe at times that whole 1 Thessalonians 2.13 thing just seems to creep in in the, in the negative fashion in your life. You just don't approach it believingly. Because I found in my own life, normally when I get into those places, is because, again, I'm just looking at it. Even though I know it's the very words of God, I'm looking at it like, you know what, man, this is, let me just, let me just get my, let me get the deal done. Let me let me stay in my routine. Rather than understanding, man, these words have the very ability to change my life. And that's how God wants us to approach it. So we'll, we'll, you, we'll give a time of invitation. You want to pray, pray in your seat, come forward, do whatever you need to do. Maybe you're here this morning, as always, want to give that option, and you never receive Christ. Well, just as this book has the ability to change a Christian's life on a day-to-day basis, this book is what born, what gets a soul born again. 1 Peter 1.23. A soul is born again by the, by the Word of God. So if you're here lost this morning, this book has the power to change your life this morning. You say, how is that? Well, it tells you your condition. It tells you the solution to your condition, that that's Jesus Christ. And if you've never done anything about that, then you come forward this morning, and I'll take this book that can change your life, and I'll show you how you can respond to and be saved. So you do business with the Lord this morning as Daniel sings.
1: I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. plan from the start, your son for redemption, the price for my heart, but I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand, I can't comprehend. All I know is I need You. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, the reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run.
0: I thank you for this time God Lord I thank you for for your word and I pray that we would be good ground though we've we've received the word of God for salvation Lord it is so easy in the the grind and the day to day life to to lose sight of the oneness of this book that you've given us it's how how you talk to us it's how you commune with us it's the very seed that, that implants in our life that grows us and then it's the very water that grows the seed It is everything. It's what the Spirit of God answers to. It's what the Spirit of God uses. What a book. I thank you for giving it to us, God. I pray that we would be, we would be, we would humbly approach it. That we'd be desperate for it as a church. That in in discipleship, God, it would be everything. It would truly be what a lamp into our feet, a light into our path, as David said. We thank you for it. God, if there's anybody in here this morning that that didn't respond but maybe does not know you as salvation, though this this wasn't a salvation message, Lord, I pray that they would realize this book has the answers to their to their issue, to their sin. It tells them how they can have a relationship with you. Pray that you convict them of that and and help them get that settled, Lord. Pray that you continue to bless our church. Be with us as we go forward. Bring us back safely on Wednesday. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.